Hey guys, welcome back. This episode is part of our med session series. This is a portion of the podcast directed towards our medical community, including students, residents, and doctors. And this episode is especially for those who are going to be applying for residency positions or even interviewing for medical school. The reason we did a separate hashtag for this series is because our audiences overlap between medical professionals and everyday people, people who want to learn a little more about medicine, health, and learn from the leaders in medicine and people who are thought leaders as well. So stay tuned. This episode is with Dr. Ted O'Connell. He is a famous author of the book Step Two Secrets, which has helped thousands of students pass their board exams. He is a program director at a well-known family medicine program and is a family medicine physician who is actually still practicing while being a program director. And we dove into some really, really good stuff in this conversation. The beginning of the podcast starts off talking about kind of startups and medical education and how he is involved in that over in the Bay Area in California. We then, around 17 minutes, 18 minutes, talk about the top residency tips and the top things that you need to know when interviewing. And the reason this podcast is so special is because we never really get to hear the perspective of a program director, the person who is making the final decision on who gets to stay and who doesn't. So we really dissected some of those questions, and I think uh, some of the answers that were given are really unique and very, very helpful. I would highly recommend listening all the way through because the second half of the podcast is also also really really great before we get into the episode we are going to shout out our medical apparel sponsor metalita at metalita.com and i want to talk about a really interesting point so basically anybody familiar with basic biology understands that the vast majority of bacteria in the world require at least a relatively limited range of temperatures in order to survive that means In order to kill these bacteria, we need to use high temperatures. Now think about most medical apparel. You can't wash them at really high temperatures because it'll ruin the clothing. Metalita's fabric, the fabric they use, was specifically made to withstand very, very high temperatures, meaning that you can set these, you can put your apparel in laundry at very high settings and not have any damage to the clothing, meaning You can have a fresh pair of scrubs that are really clean and that are not going to be stained with these really, really resistant bacteria if you're working in a hospital. So think about that before you make your scrub decision because if you're going to be wearing scrubs in the hospital, coming back with them the next day to your house and then washing them and then going back, you're really just going to be compiling bacteria onto your clothing without even, without really getting, without effectively killing the bacteria that are on your clothing. So when you are trying to make the decision between what scrubs to get, think about that. It's a very important decision. I just feel better knowing that I can wash my Metalita scrubs at really high temperatures, kill the bacteria that's on there, and walk into work the next day knowing that I have a fresh, clean pair of scrubs on. I'm not going to be getting any patients sick because I'm wearing scrubs that may have carried bacteria from the following day. If you are lucky, you can find 35% off on their website. Once again, it's metalita.com. 
This episode is also brought to you by Resolve Physician Agency. They are helping physicians make confident career choices. They help with job search, contract review, and financial education just for doctors. Let me tell you guys something that's very, very important and something that I truly believe in, and that is the power of negotiating, making sure that you are leveraging yourself so you are getting the best the best whatever, whatever whether it be benefits, a salary, um, terms and conditions. You guys really need to put yourself in a place to negotiate, especially residents just coming out of residency, ready to make a contract decision. And this should be something we should even be thinking about in medical school and in residency. But no one tells us these things. We just finish our residency and jump right into a career without having someone help us along the way. That is what Resolve Physician Agency is there for. They are on a mission to empower physicians like us in every facet of the transition from training to practice and giving us the advice we never get in training. They use salary data to ensure that we are armed with the same tools as the employers. They routinely see increases in annual compensation with one, literally, I was blown away by this, one recent physician that they had contract with them have a salary increase of $200,000 per year. That is insane. $200,000 renewed contract because that physician said, hey, I should go and find someone to advocate for me. And that's exactly what they did. And they provided the data and provided the leverage that that physician needed. And he had a salary bonus of $200,000 per year. That's insane to me. That alone, that kind of story um, is mind-blowing. And granted, most people won't get that kind of an increase in their salary, but even a 10% increase in your salary or a 15% increase in your salary if you don't go with an agency that knows how to use the leverage and advocate for you, you're going to miss out. So check out resolvephysicianagency.com and start learning how you can be empowered. Welcome to the podcast, everybody. I have Dr. Ted O'Connell with us. Dr. Ted O'Connell, thank you for being here. How are you doing today? My pleasure. I'm doing great. Thank you for having me on the show, Rami. It's my pleasure. It's my pleasure. So um, I'm really excited to have you on because you're doing something exciting with medical education. Um, you are starting something called Exam Circle, which I'm going to let you talk about. Um, but before we go into that, I'd love for you to kind of just share with our audience a little bit of a background on you and, you know, what you're currently doing. Absolutely. I'm not sure how far back you want me to go, but I am a practicing family physician. I am a residency program director, uh, published author. We can talk about some of those books later if you'd yeah. like. You Assembly Two uh, Secrets, great book. Highly recommend. Yes. Dr. Ted yes. O'Connell, I found out, was the author of that book, which I was really amazed by. You saved a lot of medical students, by the way, Dr. Ted O'Connell. <laughs> well, that's, that, that, that's the intention, Rami, is uh, I like to try to distill down a lot of complex material and ultimately with the goal of just really making it understandable um, to make better physicians. And so anything I can do to help in that process, happy to do it. Um, I'm also involved with the Crush series of books, uh, Crush Step One. Really, the intention there was to make Step One material, the first two uh, preclinical years, and distill it all down and, and really make um, people understand it. Uh, that, that was the goal with that book, too. Um, 
so hopefully everybody's finding that useful. We're going to hopefully be putting that out in audio form pretty soon. We can touch oh, on yeah. that later if yeah. you want. Audio is the future. We, we, we've talked about this. And uh, I'm excited for, for medical education and podcasts coming together. I think that's going to be an exciting field. Yes, I, I agree wholeheartedly. Especially for people over in California where you're stuck in traffic a lot. You got a lot of spare time to listen to podcasts and, uh, you know, kind of learn on the go. There's a lot of time spent in the car, and, and we're blessed with a lot of sunshine, too, and people want to be out there exercising <laughs> and doing other things. And if you can listen, do some of your studying while you're while you're exercising or doing chores or commuting, then you just gather more free time back in your life and, and hopefully strike that work-life balance and, and drive the wellness. Absolutely, yeah. And uh, that's something I realized when I was studying for my step two, I was spending a lot of time commuting to the hospital and back from the hospital. And I realized every day I was wasting about two hours, two and a half hours just driving. And so I started listening to, um, there's a, a, a really old set of lectures everybody has, and I was listening to them. Goalie on, right? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I didn't want, I don't want to infringe on anybody. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I did that and then I started actually recording myself doing questions. So uh, while I was doing, while I was studying for my boards, I would, you know, the exam banks and the question banks, I would record myself, talk about the question and then give the answer to it. And then later on, I would listen to them just to jog my memory and kind of reaffirm my understanding. And I was like, wow, that's great because, you know, that's two and a half hours. I'm filling that time with actually doing something productive. So, yeah, that, yeah. that's a outstanding idea. Um, I mean, you're having to put a fair amount of work into into recording those questions, but um, it, it's a great way to study. And, and really part of what I am currently trying to do is get some of that content out there, um, both for free and an audio format, just to cut the cost of medical education yeah. and make everybody's time more efficient. There, there's no reason you should be wasting two hours yeah. in the car. So if we can help with that, happy to do it. Yep. Yeah. I'm excited. And, uh, the next project you've been working on is exam circle. And that's something that I find, uh, really interesting and I think is really cool. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yes. The idea with exam circle is there are a ton of great questions out there. USMLE world and Kaplan all have really strong question banks uh, but the cost is is really high, and the intention with Exam Circle is to crowdsource great questions and let students and residents, um, most of whom have already taken the Step One exam, go ahead and create their own questions uh, around topics that are high yield, and get them into the QBank. And then we have we have a group of editors who goes through them and, and vets them to make sure they're high quality questions. We've put some um, game type of things in there where you can get uh, awards and, and merits for contributing and for using the question bank. But really the intention is to get a, a really high quality Q bank out there that's free. And uh, so we've that's been very amazing. successful. We Yeah, we have well over 1,400 step one questions. Wow. We're working on the step two QBank as we speak. Um, you know, it's been, it, it is bootstrapped. So uh, the programming has come a little bit slowly. We're not quite as far along as we want to be with with all of the features in the QBank. Mm -hmm. um, but I, I hope everybody who's using it will understand that because it's free and there's no revenue coming in, that it's going to take a little bit 
longer for this whole thing to develop, but I, I hope they find it to be a good resource. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I just want to commend you and say that's a very noble cause because I know as a medical student, it was very difficult, you know, using my last bit of financial aid money to pay for uh, question banks and on top of the already already so many on top of those expenses that I already had um so you know it's tough being a medical student you're already eating ramen noodles twice a week so uh I think that's a great cause I think it's going to help a lot of people and I want to help spread the message well I I appreciate that and I I remember how tight finances were when I was a student and back then returning books back to the bookstore to get whatever little extra spending cash you could get at the end of the semester. And so if I can help with that, um, I, I, that's really the intention here. Medical school and medical education is ridiculously expensive. And if we can help cost the cost at all, I think it's well mm-hmm. worthwhile. I totally get that the established Q banks out there are really high quality and that medical students tend to run in packs and, and mm-hmm. kind of, you know, follow one another and, and use the same products. I totally expect that for several years, everybody's going to be using UWorld and perhaps Kaplan. But I hope that at the same time, they'll try Exam Circle, mm-hmm. see what we're all about, perhaps contribute a few questions and pay it forward a little bit. And, right. and then perhaps by the time they're ready for step two, mm-hmm. we'll have a good QBank ready for them at that stage and they can right. cut the cost a little bit there. Right, right. Yeah, and there's always an evolution with things, you know, exam circle can definitely grow in different ways. And um, mm-hmm. I think I think more and more people are more willing to try, you know, different things. I definitely think the podcast space is kind of untapped and um, there's a huge need for it right now. I know that having a, a good quality audio source uh, would maybe even having people record uh, record questions. I may, who knows? <laughs> maybe I'll do that. I, I I think you should, Rami, or maybe we can yeah. talk offline about how you can participate. Yeah. Um, I, I'm actually working with Inside the Boards. Um, you may be familiar with them, mm-hmm. um, but they, for quite some time, have been doing question review, and, and the idea is to break down questions so you really understand how they're written and what they're getting at to teach you exam techniques um, but sometime within the next couple of weeks, we will be releasing an app that uh, will be an all audio QBank. Oh, wow. And the, yeah, and the step one questions are actually being drawn from exam circle. So it's, mm-hmm. uh, it's all these things meshing yeah. together. So uh, yeah, I, I agree. Audio is yeah. the, the wave of the future, which is interesting that we went audio, video, now back to kind of now we're, take, we're taking a step back because we're we're um you know we're trying to fill the gaps now I guess we're kind of like I guess we have all the golf balls and now we're just filling in the sand and the yeah. sand is audio. <laughs> you're right. You're yeah. you're hundred percent right. And you know medical students are, and residents in training are so busy that even if you can capture a couple minutes here and a couple minutes there, um, mm-hmm. that can be the the difference between really being well and, and, uh, stressing. Yeah. Yeah. Does, so you're kind of in the Silicon, are you in the Silicon Valley area sort of? Uh, sort of, I, am not, I'm in the San Francisco Bay area in the, in the North end of the Bay, um, near Napa. So not in Silicon Valley itself. Um, but in the, in the vicinity. 
How, in the neighborhood. Has yeah. that has that played any role, kind of, in the innovation in kind of like in in, in your kind of interests in in tech and medical education and things like that? You know, I, I suppose maybe it's provide. Um, been had some tangential role. I, I think I, I just kind of thrive on trying to innovate, trying to do new things. Um, developing startups, I think, is super interesting. Mm-hmm. I, 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 I help develop a brand new residency program. So I think it's all that's kind of uh-huh. my interest and spirit. Um, can you tell us? I uh, can you tell us about some of the startups you've done? Uh, yeah, well, besides getting a brand new residency program off the ground, uh, which is the hardest, was the, <laughs> it was yeah. a labor of love. I will yeah. tell you that um, yeah. a lot of challenges, but we have been extremely successful, uh, yeah. which is great, and and so I'm very proud of that accomplishment. I know how uh, difficult exam- that is. I'm sorry to cut you off, but my no, residency, no, no, uh, my residency is also brand new, so I know I know what my program director has been through. Yeah, I mean it's a, it's a challenge for everybody involved, yeah. and I, I give a lot of credit to those um, first couple classes of residents who were willing to come in and and be part of something that was um, perhaps more of an idea. Uh, you know, we had it very well planned, but trying to convince people of that is is can be challenging. So I give the first couple classes of residents a lot of credit for being pioneers. Mm-hmm. And I, I think you were going somewhere else with this before I rudely cut you off. I apologize. Oh, no, no, no. It's quite quite all right. Uh, I think the question was about startups. And uh, so Exam Circle was the first one that I helped co-found along with Matt Harris, my partner in, uh, in that company. And we started that about two, maybe two and a half years ago. Um, and again, very grateful for all of the, the medical students and residents um, some of whom I had previous working relationships with in, in terms of helping write books or having taught them before, and, and also the students who didn't know me and, and were willing to just contribute and be part of the crowdsourcing. Uh, and then that and um, led to getting involved with Inside the Boards and helping to co-found that company. Uh, it was a real pleasure to, to get connected with them, and it was really a connection made through uh, my involvement in the medical education space and and the publishing world and exam circle and mm-hmm. uh, yeah. What, so what was the the first book you published? When was that? And what was the reason you you kind of got into that? Well, I had always had a real interest in education um, and medical education, and I am old enough that when I was studying for the boards, there actually was only one other book on the market at the time. Um, and I don't even remember the name of that book, but my, a couple of classmates and I, as we were studying kind of said, you know, I think we could do a better job than this. And this was for this step two exam. Mm -hmm. Uh, and so after we took the exam, I was looking for a way to come up with some funds to, uh, go on a trip after medical school and decided to just go for it and get a, a couple of classmates together at UCLA and try to write a step two book. And we were able to get it done. I will say that that first go at it, um, at the time it, it initially sold pretty well looking at it now, it was 
not a great book. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> subsequently published a lot better ones. As, as so this is when you were in medical school. Yes, that was actually wow. the first one. It came out when I was a fourth year in in medical school. Um, it's now no longer on the market. It's super outdated. And like <laughs> I said, we've done much better work since then. But that was what kind of launched the publishing career. Mm-hmm. Wow, that's interesting. I I liked I liked the how far back it extends. Like even back to when you were a student. Yeah, it's a, it's um, it's a little bit surprising that that we were managed to get that done. And, um, but it's, it's always, I've always liked to write. I I went off to college thinking I was going to be a writer. I was thinking I'll write novels or or screenplays. And then as part of that process, I realized I'm not that creative (laughs) and and found science at the same time and, and steered towards medicine instead. But I always had that background interest in, in, in writing. Well, well, it played out in a different way, and you know, it a way did. that's going to help. A way that's helping a lot of people, and already has. I like to think so. I like yeah. to think so. Yeah, awesome. Well, you're do, you're doing some blogging, I guess, right? Yes, I do some blogging on the side, um, and the that really developed out of um, this seminar that I do once a year at one of the local medical schools on preparing for third and fourth year of medical school and kind of the residency interview process. And after doing that for a year or two, I realized that there were some, some common themes that, that came up from students and, and a lot of frequent uh, kind of similar questions each year. And I realized that, the, that there was a lot of opinion out there about how to approach third and fourth year, how to study for step two, how to approach the residency application and interview process and even following up after interviews and the match process. But a lot of that was written by current students. And it was, um, you know, some of it, I thought some of it was a bit misdirected. um, Mm -hmm. And I thought it would be worthwhile for people to hear it from a faculty members and program director standpoint. Mm -hmm. uh, And somebody who has some expertise around um, medical education and step two. And yeah. so I just started putting some of those thoughts into blog form and with the intention that maybe I can reach a little bit bigger audience mm-hmm. than the seminar that I do once a year. Yeah. Um, and, and really just try to, you know, take some of the stress out of that, yeah. you know, medical school, stressful mm-hmm. applica- residency application season is even more stressful. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to try to just, um, help people along a little bit because really the end goal is to be an outstanding physician. And yeah. if we can, smooth the path along the way to getting there. I, I think that's the ultimate goal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I browsed through the blog a little bit. I thought I saw that you had a post on, um, on interviews and, um, I think, uh, I read one on thank you letters and things like that. Real interesting stuff. I think, uh, subtle, but very helpful for, uh, resident or medical students applying to residency. Um, but since we're on this topic and a lot of our listeners are medical students, I thought we'd share maybe, um, you know, one or one, two or three things about, uh, your, your top residency interview tips. What would you say coming from a program director? This is very valuable because there's a lot of good content out there for, like you said, from residents and medical students. But from a program director's perspective, when you have someone sitting across from you and you're conducting an interview, what are the 
what are the top, let's say, five things you're looking at when you're interviewing that applicant that are going to play into how you rank that person? That's a great, great question, Rami. Um, and I will tell everybody, the you'll probably put it up somewhere, but the blog is available on my website at tedxoconnell.com, two N's, two L's. Uh, the, residen- the residency interview, I think at the end of the day, is what we are trying to assess is how a particular applicant will fit in at the residency program and as part of the medical team. And, and that's really what you're trying to assess is, does this person really want to be a great clinician? And how will this individual work within our team? And, and I think the same thought is going on on the part of the applicant is, is this residency program going to give me the training that I desire? How do I fit in with this group? How does this residency program fulfill my long-term aspirations in medicine. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so when I'm sitting there talking to an applicant and and conducting an interview, one is I'm trying to assess, do they have those qualities that you would want in your own physician? Are they, do, do they strike me as somebody who would have a good bedside manner? Do they have good communication skills? Um, do they have a decent personality? And I mean, and within that is, is there a sense of humor? Is there warmth? You know, not everybody has to have every uh, personality trait, but you just want to assess, is this somebody that I would be comfortable seeing as my own physician? Mm-hmm. Um, beyond that, uh, one of the things I really try to get a sense of is, are they passionate about what they're doing? And does that come through? Is there a consistent kind of story in their in their CV and in their personal statement and in their activities? And does it kind of all make sense for the type of specialty that they're applying for? And can they speak about that? And really what I'm trying to do during these interviews is have a conversation. I, I'm not mm-hmm. there to pimp anybody or ask them clinical questions. Right. I just want to get to know them. And so I may ask about their hobbies um, that are listed in the application. I may ask about some of the research or the presentations that they've done or the volunteerism that they've done. And really, I'm just trying to assess, can they talk about it? Were they sincerely invested in it? Was mm-hmm. it meaningful to them? You know, there's a difference between checking a box and doing certain activities in medical mm-hmm. school and really being passionate and engaged mm-hmm. in what you're doing. And that's part of what we're trying to assess during an interview. Um, you know, at some level, you kind of want the applicant also to be fun. Mm-hmm. Um, because yeah. you're going to spend three or tough. four years for with that person, right? Yes, yeah. you, are, you are. And yeah. often in, in an intense environment when you're tired um, and you want that individual to be able to get along really well with, with the other residents and with the faculty and, and be able to kind of laugh at things and, or, or at least have a good sense of humor about it or be positive about it. Um, because it just makes, it just makes your team better when, when, when Mm -hmm. you find people like that. Absolutely. I agree. I think you said something really interesting and that was, you know, does the whole application come together to show that the applicant is sincere in the specialty that they're applying to? And like you said, either through doing research or, you know, their hobbies or their interests, um, I can imagine, you know, certain specialties having certain, certain, you know, things that might add up 
to show yes. kind of a complete picture of that of that applicant because if you know if there's i can imagine if there's kind of like things are kind of sporadic and it doesn't really make sense and kind of vague if you're not sure if they're this is the right specialty for you or not it doesn't i, I could see why that wouldn't make uh, a program director feel like feel confident Right. Yeah. You know, and if I'm running a surgical residency program, I want to find people who are passionate about surgery. Mm-hmm. And and at the same time, one of the things I, I talk about in, in one of the blog posts is you really just need to be able to explain mm-hmm. what's in your application because people mm-hmm. do head into medical school sometimes thinking they are going to go into one specialty and they do research or they publish papers related to that specialty. And then later on, for whatever reason, they may have a change of heart and do something that that on paper might look wildly different. And that person needs to be able to go into their residency interview and tell that story about yeah. why they made the change and why they're passionate about this new specialty and, and just have it make sense. That's excellent. Uh, because, point. yeah, because they don't want to have the program director wondering if they're really that interested in that specialty uh-huh. or if they are, or if they're dual applying to more than one specialty, you really need to be able to convince people that that is what you want to be doing, mm-hmm. not just for the next couple of years in residency, but, but mm-hmm. beyond in your career. Yeah. And I, you know, just as a personal story, I, I've, I've shared this with a lot of my audience, but, um, I originally applied to physical medicine and rehab specialties. I didn't match in the match. So, um, you know, I thought I'd do, I, I would, I've always enjoyed family medicine, um, but I saw it as an alternative, I would do family medicine and then do a sports medicine fellowship and still mm-hmm. end up doing the same thing. Um, and I had to figure out, you know, is this, is this sincerely what I want to do? Um, can I sincerely imagine my, this being, um, something I, I want to pursue in the future? And luckily to my surprise, I ended, this ended up being a, uh, a great Cinderella story for me because I I've really end up ended up loving primary care and family medicine over the last year, which is it's just uh, you know for those listening, uh, I guess sometimes sometimes closed doors are a blessing, and you you can uh, and you find your path in 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 surprising ways sometimes, um, but yeah, I, I when I was looking for residency spots, I had to figure out how to tell that story differently and. Um, I think that's really important for people because when because I think program directors, faculty, they can tell when things don't add up and they're looking for a genuine, uh, um, honest reflection and uh, story about what's going on because, you know, it's real easy to sniff out when, when things aren't adding up. Yes, an experienced faculty member or program director um, usually can sniff those things out. And if they don't, you know, during a tour or something, a resident will pick up on it. So, yes, I I think you you said it well. Honesty is vitally important. And I I think it's important to step back. If if it doesn't work out for you the first time around, you know, when one door closes, a window can open. And going in and being able to have that honest conversation and say, Mm -hmm. I, I was looking for a PMNR residency and that didn't work out for me. I am flexible. I can see how I could be passionate about this and meet my long-term career goals with a career in sports medicine and be working with people who really need my help. 
I, I think that speaks much more than trying to uh, pull one over on somebody. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. What about? Um, I guess this this is going to be a high yield episode. Uh, what about red flags? I think this is an important topic too. When when addressing red flags with an applicant, or you know, when a program director is asking about red flags, what are kind of like the do's and don'ts? Because I know there, I'm sure you've experienced you know some really good ways to that are, the applicants have uh, talked about red flags and probably some really bad ways as well. And when you say red flags, Rami, so, are you talking about red flags that I might pick up as an interviewer or things that might be perceived as deficits on an applicant's um, yeah. Yeah, so, academic file? Yeah, so deficits on an academic file. Um, so I guess out my top of my list, I'd think maybe board scores, uh, maybe failed board scores, maybe um, failed classes or maybe a disciplinary thing or a professionalism thing, whatever, anything, any kind of red flag that would kind of throw you off about an applicant when they come up, how should applicants address them? And, you know, what's your experience with, with kind of, uh, you know, dealing with applicants having those yes. issues? Well, I think one of the most important things uh, for an applicant is to really try to know almost everything that's in your application. And I think most schools uh, allow applicants to read their dean's letter. Um, I, I don't quote me on that, but I, it, that seems like a, a pretty common thing. Obviously, you know what your board scores are. If you've had a professionalism issue, you'd be aware of that. You're going to typically and I would say you should sign away your rights to read your letters of recommendation. So you may not know what's in those, but the rest of your application, you really should be well aware of what's in that. And then if there is any deficit, let, let, let's take, for example, a comment, uh, a, kind of a simple one, just a, an evaluation that isn't as strong as, as you want it to be on a clinical rotation. And maybe there's a negative comment in there. Um, you know, just being able to own it, I think, is is what's really important. Don't get caught by surprise. Um, I've had plenty of applicants who weren't aware that something like that is in their in their evaluations, and I've asked them about it, and they were caught by surprise, and that never looks very good. But if you know that it's there, then you can actually bring it up during the course of your interview, and you know, you don't want to necessarily lead with that, but if you're given the opportunity, you know, anything else you want to say, or do you have any questions, that's the chance to say, well, I'd like to address the, um, some of the negative comments that, that showed up on my internal medicine rotation and explain what happened and own it. Um, and what you really want to do is, is be aware of it, be able to talk about what you learned from the experience mm -hmm. and how you've grown from the experience and be able to reassure that the interviewer that, that you understand that situation, you've grown from it, you, you're putting it behind you and mm -hmm. as best you can reassure them that they will not see that in your performance when you're a resident with them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think, uh, also just, you know, take, just to add on to that. Um, and I think every, and this is just reiterating, you know, just to re taking the responsibility and, and like you said, not making excuses. Um, yes. And then always trying to end, end it on a positive note because you yep. always want to try to take a negative, you know, and 
have it be a learning experience and hopefully it was it turns into a positive for you and i think it's important to to convey that message when you're when you're in interviews yes absolutely you don't want to put the blame on somebody else you really want to just take responsibility for it you know if you had a difficult resident who gave you a, an evaluation that wasn't positive, you, you don't want to call them a difficult resident. You can say, we had a difficult time interpersonally. Here's how I could think I contributed to it. I've thought about this. I went and talked with the rotation liaison about how I could have done better. I've really learned from it. And if you look at the rest of my application, none of those comments showed up subsequently. So I really think that I grew from that experience. Um, you know, that, that type of commentary, mm-hmm. um, that just shows you know, maturity it, as well. It really does. And it's, yeah. yeah and it's very reassuring. And, and oftentimes that's during the interview, that's just, you know, nobody has very few people have, have perfect applications and it's just a chance for people to check on your maturity and your willingness to, to kind of own situations and your willingness to embrace personal growth. And you really can take something that is, that is, um, perhaps negative and, and turn it into a positive during the interview. And, mm-hmm. and, and similarly, you know, some people, you know, life happens too, right? There are life circumstances that may have gone on a death of a family member that, that caused you to not perform as well. Mm-hmm. It's okay to explain that and say, I had a difficult time with, uh, you know, an illness in the family. And I, per- I think I should have taken some time off, but I tried to persevere through it. It affected my performance. I've learned that I, you know, need to approach it differently next time. And I will, if that ever happens again, um, you know, a, a failed exam, uh, you know, failed boards or, or a shelf exam. Similarly, you can talk about how you learned from that, how you changed your approach to the exam, how you changed your, your study style, mm-hmm. how you use different resources, how you sought counseling, um, you know, I think any of that that shows that you're really just going after the problem um, shows a lot of depth and maturity and really will put the, the interviewer at ease regarding your, your candidacy as an applicant. Absolutely. Um, here, This is another question that I, I get pretty often from people, and I don't know why they ask me like I would know, but uh, it's basically um, how important are board scores when you're being evaluated um, for a residency position and where does that, you know, how much leniency is there? Do you have to have the most stellar board scores to get into a competitive residency or, or can you rank better if you're better in other areas versus not being as good in board score areas? How does that play into like how, where, how are things weighted in the ranking process? You know, Rami, that's actually a, a really common question and a really challenging question to answer. Um, there, it really depends on on the residency program. Um, some programs, even within the same specialty, put a lot of weight on board scores, and some focus more on other things like your activities, your research, how you do during the interview. Your perform, you know, where you finished in your class rank, and other other programs focus a lot on board scores. Um, there is a lot of perception about how much step one matters, and at some programs it matters a lot. I will tell you that more and more, I think programs are looking at step two because 
that's a more clinical exam and, and perhaps is a better predictor of, of your clinical skill ability. Um, but I think to make any kind of blanket statement about how much it matters is a really tough question to answer um, because there's a lot of variability. I think I would say try to do as well as you can. Um, know that over time, average scores go up almost every single year. And because of the quality of all of the study resources that are out there, the questions that are in the exam to create some variability mm -hmm. get more and more esoteric, especially around step one. Mm -hmm. um, it's unfortunate, um, but try to do the best you can. And if you don't perform as well, <clears throat> you know, try to try to shine in all of those other areas where you can. Yeah, yeah. I think that's a, I think that's a great response. Thank you. Um, I guess uh, to close things off, um, how can students how can um, step? Uh, how can first year medical students, second year medical students, um, preparing for their boards? Um, what are your best tips in terms of getting ready to, to study for step one or step two, and how to best prepare? Well, you know, I think there's there's a real wealth of material out there about how to approach um, studying. Right now besides just really trying to, to understand all of the material, the, the um, kind of magic bullet right these days is doing first aid and UWorld. Uh, I would, the reason, the way we wrote Crush Step 1 and, and kind of the reason for doing it was to really try to drive understanding early with the idea that if you understand it, um, it just facilitates a better performance on the exam. And so what we have been suggesting that people do is use crush step one really early, like right from the get go mm -hmm. alongside the core materials with each of your courses. Um, at the same time, very gradually start looking at first aid right alongside it. So, you, so that when you get down to your study period, that's not the first time you're getting into first aid. And then as you get within a few months, uh, you know, and it's going to be different for everybody. And it also depends how much time your school gives you off for dedicated study time, but to really have a study plan. And that way, when you'll have um, first aid that you've looked at once before, a plan around doing questions and, and you can get into all kinds of different opinions about how to do that and setting up block tests and making sure that you're really focusing on the answers and the, and the key teaching point and all of those questions and not just trying to get through questions, but to make sure you're really understanding them. Um, but I would say starting with a really good resource and I'm, I happen to think our book is great, Crush Step One early on and then focusing on first aid and, and UWorld as you get into that study, that, that dedicated study time, and, and really try to make yourself a good schedule and stick to it. And, and that way you'll have gone through questions, hopefully several times, a couple passes through first aid, really understanding the material as a background. When you're doing the test, the, the test questions, pause if you don't understand something and get back into some of the core source material mm -hmm. so that you make sure you really understand it. Yeah. Um, 
making sure that you're you're also building in time, especially during that dedicated study time, for to eat right, to rest, to exercise, to socialize with your friends and family. You know, mm-hmm. you need. Uh, there's lots of evidence in the neurosciences that that you'll perform better if you're um, balanced and, and focused on wellness. So making sure that you're resting enough and doing all of those other things like exercising. So, I, you know, probably not studying more than eight real hours a day. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, lots of people tell you you need to do more. Um, but I think if you start yeah. soon and early enough, you probably, Eight, eight hours a day is, I'm yeah. not sure how much you're going to absorb beyond that. Eight hours a day is like 14 hours a day with no Instagram breaks or eight yeah, hours correct. with eight hours with no Instagram breaks is like 14 hours a day. <laughs> yeah, I, I think you're right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Dr. Ted O'Connell, thank you so much. Um, where can, where can our listeners learn more about exam circle number one and more about where can they, you know, if they're looking to get crush, Step one, where can they get that and where can they follow you and all of that good stuff? Oh, thanks for that opportunity, Rami. Uh, so my website I've given uh, already, but it's at tedxoconnell.com. That is where the blog resides and, and links to um, my books. If you want to check out any test chapters or anything like that, there's a link to exam circle there. Uh Exam Circle is at examcircle.com. Inside the boards, which is where the question breakdowns resides, uh, is at insidetheboards.com. My uh, podcast for USMLE Step 2 Secrets, which I wanted to get out there and let everybody learn while they're on the go, is currently available on iTunes and most other ways you get your podcasts. You can mm-hmm. also find it on my website. It's actually moving over to Inside the Boards pretty soon. So what's the iTunes? Platform. What's the iTunes search for for the if, if, for the podcast? If you plug in Step Two Secrets, Step it, Two it Secrets should pop up right there. Yep. Okay. And, and this if, will we'll and, include all this in the show notes as well. That's great. And if anybody would be willing to get on there and give it a review, uh, that's always helpful. Uh, I'm available on Twitter at Ted O'Connell. If anybody wants to email me or get in touch or talk about collaboration around anything in medical education or medical technology, you can contact me through my website. Uh, I am on Instagram at Ted O'Connell MD. That one I don't do as robustly as I probably should. Uh, And you can also find me uh, and my books on, on Facebook. Okay, perfect. Thank you so much, Dr. Ted O'Connell. Uh, guys, like he said, follow him where he mentioned, if you're on iTunes, uh, listening to podcasts, uh, check out step two secrets and leave him a review and also leave beyond medicine a review. And thank you guys for listening. Dr. Ted O'Connell. Thank you so much. My pleasure, Rami. And if it's ever helpful down the road to uh, dive into any of those other questions that you have about life and medicine, and you know, absolutely, happy, I think happy I th- to come back on the show. I, I have a feeling you're going to be a hit, so we're going to have to have you on again. So uh, you're, you're, too, <laughs> you're too kind. <laughs> All right, thank you so much. Thanks, Rami. 
Hey guys, thank you for listening to this episode. We hope you enjoyed it and we hope we brought you some good practical advice that you can apply to help you in your residency application process and through medical school and through all your future endeavors. If you could share this podcast episode, screenshot it, post it on your stories, tag us at beyond underscore med. We would really, really appreciate it. Share, share, share as much as you can. Also, if you guys want to support the podcast, you can always go to beyondmedicinepod.com and click on donate and donate there if you like. Also, you can always leave us a review, five-star review if you can, on the podcast app. Thank you guys. Peace.